0: Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author, Becca Eisenberg, brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities.
1: Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 88. Today, I'll be interviewing children's book author Ellie Terry. Ellie Terry has been writing poems and stories since she was 10 years old. Whether in a notebook while sitting high up in an aspen tree, on her father's typewriter at the kitchen table, or in one of her many journals while taking bubble baths, she has always loved working with words. Her poetry has won several state awards and has appeared in various magazines for children. In 2014, she was a recipient of the Nikki Grimes Poetic Techniques Merit Scholarship. Her middle grade debut novel, Forget Me Not, a story in which a girl attempts to hide her Tourette syndrome while trying to convince her mother not to move uh, yet again, especially after making friends with the boy next door, was published in 2017 by Firewall and Friends, an imprint of Macmillan Children's Publishing Group. Ellie grew up in small towns in South Dakota, Arizona, and Nevada, and currently lives in Southern Utah. And I'd always like to just give the website so you could also check out all of her work, which is ellieterry.com. It'll also be on my website as well. So thank you so much for being here today, Ellie. I'm really excited to talk to you because I I just, I loved your book. I forget me not. I, I picked it up and I didn't put it down until I was finished. It was so good. I just loved it. So I'm like, really, really excited to talk to you about it. And um, so I guess just my first question is just talking about um, kind of the beginning process of, you know, writing the book and what inspired you to just think of the storyline and to begin writing it.
0: Yeah, so two things kind of, inspired this novel the first being a story my mom told me about her childhood when she was 10 years old well actually I don't know if I can say this without spoiling part of the book (laughs) oh shoot Um, she told me a story from when she was younger um where she was picked up from school by her mother who had been away on a little trip And there was someone else in the car with her. I'll just say that. Um, And I thought that would be um, a really difficult situation for a child to go through. Um, That kind of started the whole plot of the novel. Um, My mom lost her father when she was three years old in a car accident, just like um, Callie does in the book. So, And and her mother was a single mother who um, was married multiple times. And so I kind of got the basis for, for the plot for Callie's story that way. Um, during the process of drafting this novel, my daughter was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome, who was 10 at the time. And I, she was a huge reader. And I was looking for books that she could read and relate to. Um, she was really struggling with um, just being different, um, you know, having a little bit of trouble with friends at school who were wondering why, you know, she was doing different things. And at first I thought, oh, how cute she's doing a lot of the same things I used to do when I was a kid, which were ticks, but I didn't know that yet. Um, So, um, but then I took her in and got diagnosed. And when I was researching for stories, I just didn't find very many. And the ones I did find were pretty dated about 20 years earlier. So I knew that wasn't going to be enough for my daughter or for all the children out there who have Tourette's syndrome. And I knew it was something that needed to be talked about, especially in children's literature. So that story then became a story of a girl with Tourette's syndrome who wanted to hide it and was embarrassed by it, but who eventually came to embrace who she was. And also during that time, shortly after I was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome as well. So I was in my thirties when I got diagnosed and then suddenly like everything in my life made sense Mm -hmm. um, from my childhood and things like that. Um, And writing the story became quite therapeutic for myself. And it really became my story. I had to go through, even though I was an adult, I had to go through the process of learning what was wrong, giving a a name to all the things that I did, knowing that they were ticks, and accepting it and telling other people about it. And when I was diagnosed at the end of that appointment, the doctor actually said to me, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't go around telling everybody that you have Tourette syndrome. And I was really shocked by that. And I said, well, why not? And he said, "Um, if people know they'll treat you differently because it's a very misunderstood disorder. And that was the last thing he said to me. And I left and on my way driving home, I thought, well, if it's a misunderstood disorder, shouldn't we talk about it more so that it can become understood um, and then the fire for spreading awareness really got going um, inside of my heart. And so that's kind of what really fueled this story. And I was so thankful that it was able to be published and and help spread awareness. And I've been really um, grateful to be able to talk to lots of classrooms. Um, classrooms who even have a student with Tourette syndrome to help people to understand how do we treat people who have Tourette syndrome? What do we do? Um, And I really wanted readers to be able to jump into the shoes of somebody who had Tourette's, which in this case, they're kind of jumping into my Tourette's um, and my OCD but everyone with Tourette's is going to be different. So this is definitely, you know, just one slice of the story, but I'm grateful to be a part of it.
1: And one of the things I, what I really liked about your books too, was about, about your book was how it was written. Cause it was almost written in these like short, like kind of short verses. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because it was a really interesting way to write the book. And for me, I found that, it really added to the depth of the story. and it I don't know what what I loved about it also was for any kids who are struggling readers, I think it would be also just another great middle grade novel for them because it is shorter. There's less text on a page. Yes. It's easier to get through. So I just think it's like a very inclusive book because it not only you know, has this interesting. Taxed and interesting vocabulary, but I also think it it's great for all different readers.
0: Yes, that is um, one of my hopes with um, any any middle grade novel that I publish. I want it to be something that reluctant readers will want to pick up. Mm -hmm. Um, When I when I set out to write the novel, I didn't say you know I'm going to write all of Callie's point of view in poems or verse. I just, um, it just came that way. Um, I've like, I, you read in my bio, I've been a poet. Mm-hmm. Uh, since I was 10 years old. That's something that just really um, grabbed hold of me and I came easy for me. And so when I started writing her story, it just became such an emotional story and I expressed myself better using poetry. And so I ended up doing Callie's, um, point of view that way. Jin Song's point of view originally was in poems as well, but it just seemed like it was kind of forced. And I also wanted to differentiate between the two characters a little bit more. So Jin Song's, I ended up just doing regular prose with his. But I feel like that choice for the story really helps readers to understand the, all of the different emotions. And that's what I love that poetry does. <laughs> It,
1: re- it really does. And it's, I was just hoping kind of leads into a conversation about Callie. Um, Calliope, I'm going to hopefully I'm saying it right. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to talk about her for a little bit and, you know, kind of how you thought of the name of Calliope and what that represents. Um, and then I just wanted to get into a little bit of a conversation about Calliope's hair because I don't want to spoil her for anyone. Um, <laughs> you know, who have who hasn't read the book, but um, it's I, I feel like her her character was so, I don't know, I just went through so many different emotions throughout the story. And I could really empathize with her. You know, I, I feel like there there are certain books that you read the character and you kind of, you know, you read about the character and then there is characters where you feel like you really get to know them. Yeah. And that is your book. I feel like Calliope is not only, I think, for, and I don't think you have to have Tourette's syndrome to really understand her because it's also just adolescence, too. It's not just sure. about Tourette's, yeah. it's about, you know, her, you know, moving and, and growing up and friendships and what it feels like to be different um, or teased. And it's just the reality of kind of going through adolescence is that you know we kind of go through some of these different experiences, although I haven't been an adolescent in a long time. <laughs> but <laughs> I have two at home. <laughs> so you know it's it's you know it's like we are living it. Um so I was hoping <laughs> I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the the choice of name and why you chose that name.
0: Yes. So the easiest answer I guess is that um, Calliope was um, a Greek god of poetry. Ah. So um, that's kinda, and I was writing this in free verse, um, Callie's. Um, And I just like different names. Um, I'm a lover of names. I read baby name books just for fun. Um, And that's just a name that I've always thought was really interesting and neat. And I always wanted to use it on a character someday. So then I used it and it was perfect for this. Um, And then you asked about, oh, her hair. Yeah, that part was so
1: well. That's uh, it was heartbreaking. I've always wanted like long golden hair. By the way, so (laughs) so when she especially
0: difficult for you,
1: (laughs) it it really was. I was like, oh,
0: yeah, yeah. It's difficult to talk about that aspect of the novel without giving things away. Um, But I feel like her hair is a possession. One of her. Greatest possessions, especially since her father, who she no longer has, really um, loved her hair and gave her compliments about her hair. And so I think she's holding on to her father a little bit in that way through her hair. And um, I guess I'll just say that, you know, things in the story are a lot of things are taken away from Callie in the story by her mother. And, um, yeah, I don't want to give it away, but, I know, but that kind of leads to that. Of,
1: yeah. It, 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 so leads, it leads to the conversation of things being misunderstood. I think because I see this just because I work with, you know, all children with different, different disabilities and they think because they're doing one thing, then you just take it away. And it's, and it's more symptomatic of what's going on. Like just, Meaning that if something's going on, you're not just going to go and take away. You have to figure out like why it's happening to begin
0: with. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, I really like that. Yes, and Callie's mom does not know, although she loves her daughter, she does not know how to deal with Callie's um, Tourette syndrome, all of her, all of her issues, and so her. Way of dealing with it is like let's just not talk about it. Yeah. Let's just take that away. Let's just shut it down. Let's hide it and try to be normal people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I liked that you mentioned that it's kind of like any adolescent can relate to Cali, even if they don't have Tourette syndrome. I purposely wanted a novel that every child could try to relate to. Because guess what? Every single one of us is different in some way. Mm -hmm. We all have something about us that makes us feel different from our peers or those around us. And I just want kids to know that that's not necessarily a bad thing. So they might not have Tourette's, but hopefully they can read the novel and they could think, you know, what is different about myself? Or what do I not like about myself? And realize that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be weird because everybody has something about themselves that they feel is different. And we're all different. And that's a good thing. Exactly.
1: exactly. And the other point, too, I want to say is that, you know, because the because the mom is not, misunderstands it and tries to hide it, she can't be a good advocate. And right. I think for any parents out there listening to the podcast whether your child has Tourette syndrome, whether it's ADHD, whether it's learning disabilities, what, you know, autism, whatever it is, is that we have to embrace it and take it on and see it more as like a superpower, I think in a way, and, 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 and kind of embrace it. Um, and that's the only way we can become a good advocate for our kids when if they're if they have a diagnosis, let's say, because if you're trying to hide it, it's also not, I think it's not a great model for your kid. Like, you know, kind of as far as like the journey into self-advocacy. You know, I always say, because I also I I teach a lot of graduate classes, you know, I I would say some of my best students are my students who are self-advocates for themselves, who have different learning disabilities, who have different um, who are neurodiverse, right? And so if they need certain accommodations, they're gonna to come to me and they're gonna tell me. Um, and I think that if you hide something, how could you be a good self-advocate for yourself? And sometimes the more you hide things, the less, the less who you are. That's that's you know what I mean? And so I think for for Callie throughout the story, I think she really learns a lot about herself and it's pretty, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to give it away or anything, but, um, the relationship she has with her mom, it does go through, um, different stages, which was really interesting.
0: Yes. I, I, well, you asked, you know, in the questions you asked me before you asked how, how was I different from Kelly? Mm -hmm. One of the things that's different is that, um, well, I I have two parents, you know, growing up. They did not know I had Tourette's syndrome, but they didn't, they loved me for who I was. And they just called all of my OCD and tics my quirks. Mm -hmm. And they just, they love that about me. Like they still love that about me. Um, it's almost endearing to them because um, mm-hmm. it was just who who I am, you know. To them, now of course they know um, what that I have Tourette syndrome and and everything that's going on, um, and and it's changed them. It's opened their eyes, and you know, it's made them advocates. And it's interesting to see. I have so many nieces and nephews. Um, I'm the second oldest of eight children, so I have a very large family, lots of nieces and nephews. and there i have I do have a few nieces and um, nephews who do have Tourette syndrome. And so it's definitely in our family. I'm just the first one who it's manifested maybe severely enough to be noticed and diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So not only am I bringing awareness to the you know, literary community, but it has really brought awareness to my own family, and it has, is it is it affecting? It is affecting um, the future generations in my family and the help they get, and they're embracing it. And it's just nice that they're not having to be quiet about it, I guess, or hide it, or ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that I got to be a part of that.
1: Exactly. And also important for your daughter as well, because yes. I think just, you know, kind of being a good model and I think embracing it. And it's just, and it's not, I don't know. I just think, I just think it's a great model for all kids. Um, and so, and, and what just, just to kind of, one of my last questions is, for parents out there whose children are newly diagnosed with Tourette Syndrome, um, do you have any advice for any parents out there who are feeling yes. maybe hesitant or nervous or not sure what the next steps are?
0: Yes, I feel like I'm in a quite a unique position um, with having Tourette's myself and being diagnosed and also being the parent of a child with Tourette syndrome. So I kind of get to see both sides. From the side of a parent, like when my daughter was first diagnosed, I was absolutely devastated. This was before I was diagnosed. She was diagnosed first. I was just devastated because what I knew about Tourette syndrome was just what I had seen in the media. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh no, you know, she's going to had this really hard life, and I felt like I had lost the daughter that I had had, you know, and that her future looked different. I was really um, sad for a while. So my advice to parents is don't be sad at all. (laughs) I mean, sure, your child's going to go through some hard times with this diagnosis, but every person goes through hard things in life. This is just going to be one of the things that your child um, has been handed to them in their life. But just like any other hard thing, they'll get through it. And um, the most important thing is for you to not be embarrassed by what your child does and to teach your child to not be embarrassed. If your child goes to school and is able to be very open and tell people when people ask, why do you do that weird thing with your face? Why do you make that noise? If your child is able to say, you know, almost in like a nonchalant way or like a, it doesn't matter kind of way instead of a, I'm so ashamed. If they can say, oh, I have Tourette syndrome. Those are my ticks. some of the ticks that I do. You know, I just, I can't help that I do them. Saying it like that, then the person will just be like, oh, okay, you know, um, it really breaks my heart when I hear stories of parents who get a diagnosis, their child gets a diagnosis, and the first thing they do is immediately pull them out of school. Um, Now, I can't speak (laughs) for all adults. I can't tell you what to do um, with your child. This is my opinion. Um, It makes me sad because I feel like a much better approach is to just explain. Explain to the principal, explain to the teachers, write an email to every teacher if you need to, um, explaining. List your child's ticks. Explain to them that it's like a sneeze or a cough. You know, if you say, you know, don't ask my child not to do it because. That's like saying, well, don't don't sneeze, don't cough, hold it in. Um, it's eventually just going to come out and holding ticks in makes things a whole lot worse. And the best advice I can give to just everyone in general, parents included, anyone talking to someone with Tourette's, is the more you talk about it, the, sometimes when you talk about ticks, then it makes the ticks worse. So, if every time your child ticks, you point it out to them, that's going to almost, like, embed it into their brain to do that tick more often, if that makes sense. Um, So, like, if you're talking to someone with Tourette's and they happen to do a tick, you know, while they're talking to you, just keep talking to them and, and ignore the tick. Unless they stop and are talking about it. Um... I think that's the very best thing. That's my own personal um, experience and opinions. But I think it's great advice because I have
1: seen situations in classrooms or schools where kids are asked to stop doing it. Yeah. And you can't stop doing it, you know? And I think that's where the education piece comes in because we can't assume that everyone is educated about Tourette's. We can't assume that all staff and all administration is knowledgeable about Tourette's. So I, I agree with you that if your child has Tourette's, like giving them the education and making them understand and just what you said, that may be something that maybe other people don't know. And so yeah. the education piece is really important.
0: I think if you can do a presentation to their class, that's great. If they're brave enough to do that, um, or the teacher could, you know, give a little presentation or talk about it. I just, I really feel so strongly that it's something that should be talked about Mm -hmm. as then, then the kids are going to say, oh, there's so-and-so over there. She's just doing her tics, you know, move on. If you don't say anything, then the kids are going to be like, what is wrong with that kid? You know, why are they doing that? You know, I just feel like it's a, that invites maybe criticism and, mm-hmm. and not talking nicely because they don't understand. Right.
1: I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that goes with a lot of different things that I see because I'm in a lot of schools is that when you don't talk about something, people could misunderstand it and make assumptions. Versus being honest and talking about things. So everyone understands and everyone knows how to, you know, kind of, you know, be able to, let's say, talk to somebody with Tourette's, not to bring up their text. Um, but it, it, that could be for, I think, lots of different things that, you know, it's always good to be able to be open and talk about it. Um, and I think kids are non judgmental. I mean, kids want to, um, understand things. And I think especially for young kids, um, just to kind of assume that they wouldn't understand is not like, to me, I'm always, cause you know, being in schools, I'm always, and I work with kids with lots of different bearing disabilities is that I encourage teachers to talk about, you know, specific disabilities that are in the classroom, you know, like, using different types of equipment, using different aids, whatever it is, someone who maybe who stutters, um, talking about it is really, really important because when you don't talk about it, it's, like you said, it just becomes really misunderstood. So, and also for an older class, I know that your book is being used in a lot of different classrooms
0: yeah I'm surprised that it's being used in um, elementary as young as third grade um, up to you know high, the high school level mm-hmm. um, just because it's it's got a good message um, and it can be it can be applied to any age really, even adults honestly <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. You know, I used to go to um, writers' conferences, and I would sit there, and I would just try to hold my tics in, you know, um, in all situations, which, of course, made it worse and until I would have to sometimes leave the room. Well, when Forget Me Not came out, um, that was that was like me opening up my whole life and struggle to everybody, so then everyone knew this author has Tourette Syndrome. So then after the book came out, when I went to conferences and I would be sitting there and I would tick, I would just be like, I don't care. Everyone knows now, you know, everyone knows I have Tourette's. I don't need to hide it, which made the ticks uh, less frequent. So mm-hmm. I learned the same lessons that Callie learned. I just learned them as an adult versus um, being a child. Yeah, I
1: love that. Well, thank you so much. Is, is there anything else that you want to add before
0: finishing up um maybe just one more thing uh, for parents i know that you know sometimes Tourette's can be quite distracting in a classroom you know uh, a teacher may you know may say well this is very difficult and it's distracting to the other students or whatever I would just encourage in that kind of situation to, you could set up some type of, um, you know, IEP plan with the school. Um, Maybe just allow that student, if they are, you know, they're going to know when their takes are coming. Um, I feel a really big buildup of tension inside my body. And I don't, it's going to explode. I can feel that it's going to, but I don't know how it's going to come out. I don't know if it's going to come out through me yelling or if it's going to come out through me kicking. I don't know. And I don't, it just builds up. So you can feel that. Um, Maybe when a student is struggling, uh, maybe they could step outside in the hallway, you know, Um, don't ask them to step out into the hallway, but if they choose to, if they would like to step out into the hallway, um, things like that. Maybe they need to go for a walk around the school. Uh, For me, movement um, definitely helps. So, um, fidget things and I just think there's ways you, you can help within the classroom with different, uh, plans. Maybe they need a device, rubber bands on the bottom of the chair that they can kick over and over, um, bouncing on a ball. Just those kinds of things are things that help me. And so I would just encourage you to not give up and to advocate. And um, spread awareness and help people understand.
1: Exactly. I just want to add to that about um, getting a 504 or IEP through the school district is really important to have these um, strategies and accommodations written down from one grade to the next so that when, if your child is in a different class the following year, you have all of these strategies written down because we can't always assume that. Um, One teacher that every teacher is going to know how to, especially as the kids get older, if they're out of elementary school and they're middle school, um, having a plan, a written plan is very important. And um, it's something I'm always encouraging parents to do because... You, you need to have these things written down, especially if it's going to help your child. And if your child is older, making sure that your child knows about those accommodations and those different strategies that help them. So when you're not there in school, because we're not there in school with them, <laughs> is yeah. them being able to ask for those accommodations, ask for those strategies if they're not being you know, presented to them, um, which I think leads to better self-advocacy. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I just wanted to add to that because it's, it's really, really important. I think a lot of parents may assume that it's just going to get done the next year if one teacher does it, but that's not always true, True,
0: which is yeah. why
1: that written paperwork is really important.
0: So. As the child goes into, um, you know, middle school at, you know, out of elementary school and middle school, and they have, you know, six or seven teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I just know from experience with my own children that different, you know, the different teachers handle things different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, where one teacher might be really um, accommodating and understanding, another teacher could not care. <laughs> so, um, myself as a parent, I I did email each of the teachers separately so that I could get a response back from each of them and be able to, you know, and, and I listed all the current ticks that. You know, this is, these are the ticks my child has. So if you see them do this, they are not, um, you know, like for example, head shaking, they could be up there talking or presenting, um, on whatever subject and the kid's going to keep shaking their head. It's like, well, are you disagreeing with me? You know, they could kind of get into uh-huh. trouble thinking that they're, <laughs> you know, so I do think it's important.
1: Yeah. Well, thank, thank you so much for today. This was really, really helpful. And definitely, you know, check out Ellie's book and her website, Uh Thank you. Thank you so much for being on, Ellie. And um, thank you for listening today. Listen and learn with us at Language During Mealtime.